welcome back to Goonies World. I am Johnny Pharaoh, also known as Sean. And with me tonight is Meanie, also known as Ryan. That's right. Hello, everybody. And of course, we have the eponymous Goonie, also known as Colin. Hello. And tonight we are back with part two of our classic traveler game. When I say classic traveler, we're referring to the little black books in the 1981 edition. Those beautiful little black books in that little black box. That's what we're doing. And a quick recap. Uh, last time, our heroes, Christopher, a former merchant captain, and Ted, a former marine captain, teamed up to make a fortune in trade out here on the Spinward Marches using their far trader ship Achilles' heel. And on the high-tech world of Rylanor, after a barroom brawl with a vengeful Varger and his toady, Christopher and Ted met an anonymous girl they believed to be a member of the nobility acting incognito. And she hired them to pick up a cargo on the cold planet Kagina and deliver it to another planet called Chipotle. All they know is that the cargo is something that will help the natives of Chipotle. And on the way out of Rylanor, our travelers noticed that their patron was being followed by men in blue who took note of the Achilles' heel leaving port. And the travelers then did make the jump to Kagina successfully, where they're supposed to meet an alien called a Hiver and give him a password. But before they can make Planetfall, they have to deal with a Xerxes-class armed packet ship that's just shown up on their sensors. It has a disabled comm beam, which means it's up to no good at all, and has just changed its vector to match your vector. And that's where we left it last time. So we might as well jump right in in that moment. Now, I'll tell you, it's about 60,000 kilometers away, and it's moving at about 2 Gs, which means it could reach you guys in about 3,000 seconds if you remain stationary, which in traveler terms, it's three turns. Um, these spaceship combat rounds represent 1,000 seconds. So uh, if you were to just remain stationary, it would reach you in about three turns. But, of course, you're probably not going to remain stationary. Now, as I see it, you have two good options. You could try to outrun it and get to the surface, or you could engage it in combat. What are the chances, or how, you know, how likely is it that we could put up a, a fight against this ship? You have a laser installed, and I think that it would be possible but risky i think that and i think you would have that assessment as a former marine captain you know and of course as a merchant christopher has certainly dealt with pirates xerxes class ship is you know no one names ship class xerxes and then doesn't make it at least slightly badass right um but it's a good time for you to be asking these questions because your sensors beep wildly indicating that the Xerxes has launched a missile that is coming in to intercept your vector. They're probably pirates, and pirates don't make money by destroying ships. So that is probably an EMP missile that's designed to cripple your power but leave your ship intact. And uh, those gunners, it looks like they've succeeded on that missile attack. The missile will take a while to get here because of the way spaceship combat works. It's not going to move, really, until the movement phase of the next turn. So that missile is going to hit you unless you do something about it. What you could do, since I know you don't know a lot about Traveler Starship Combat, is you could 
try to fire your laser at the missile, which would stop it. Or Christopher could uh, just maneuver and evade and hope to avoid it completely. Um, now, maneuvering and evading wouldn't get you much closer to the planet, but it would avoid the missile. If you were to gun it towards the radio beacon and try to get landed on the star at the starport, Ted could possibly hit the missile with the laser. Um, so you've got probably about two turns to try to hit it because it's moving at about three Gs. So you could basically fly erratically and evade the missile or maneuver to the radio beacon and let Ted try to take it out. So I'm assuming that the whole disabled gun beam thing means that I can't send the transmission. That's them. absolutely they, right. They wouldn't receive it. Yeah. Okay. In fact, the disabled comm beam is uh, uh, essentially, you know, like flying a skull and crossbones. They, they don't have to know good and they don't even know who cares. Hmm. Well, I think Ted would uh, instinctively, as a missile was being fired, um, as soon as he got that alert, would instinctively attempt to maneuver um, to to avoid it. Okay. And you mean Christopher. When you say Ted, you mean yourself. Did, did I say Ted? Jesus Christ, yeah. yes, I meant Chris. Yeah, that's okay. We we have we have very uh, non-memorable names. We just have very mundane traveler-esque names. Chris and Ted, space heroes. So, they're not good names like Buck Goodsense and Dweek Stevens. Oh, yeah. Chris and Ted's excellent space adventure. <laughs> Chris and Ted's excellent, <laughs> yeah. Uh... But yeah, okay. So Christopher, you're saying your your uh, your instincts would be to gun it. No, I, I think. It, yeah, I'm not necessarily towards the planet at the at the moment anyway. So much as just to avoid the missile and maybe give Ted a shot at it. Okay. Now, if you're gonna evade, then Ted's gonna be harder for him to hit it. But if you're just gonna gun straight for something, then then Ted will have at least two shots at it. But uh, evading in general, it would be different than gunning it towards the planet. The idea of evading, you really would not continue on a straight vector. So uh, I'll assume that when you're gunning it, you're gunning it towards the planet. If you, okay, um, that, that that works. Yeah, yeah. This evading is like a, a thing you do that doesn't really move you forward that much. But it would also create a penalty for Ted to hit. Um, well, I don't want to do that. No. Uh, then it would make the missile... You know, you would have a chance to not get hit by the missile, too. So it's really a trade-off. But certainly gunning, it sounds more fun. So with the equivalent of revved engines. Uh, Ted, do you want to try to hit this missile that's coming in? Because the intruders yes. have had their phase. We refer to them as the intruders and you as the native. And, I'm uh, going to knock this missile off its trajectory. Well, that's great. Now, you don't have... Uh, now, luckily, you guys have already got maneuver, evade, and target, and gunnery programs already loaded in your ship's computer. But you need to roll an eight or high, oh, I'm sorry, you need to roll an eight or higher, yes, to hit this missile that's coming in. Now, you have an effective gunnery scale of zero, which means there's no penalty. But because you do have an above-average dexterity, take a plus one to the roll to hit this incoming missile. Ted. And we so need an eight. 2d6. Yeah, 2d6, and you can add one because one. of your dexterity. No, only a six. Well, only a six. And uh, so this missile, you look with your, you know, in horror, you guys look down at your scope and you see it's still coming in. Luckily, uh -oh. you've got about a round here. You've got another, you've got another round to shoot at. It's moving at 3g's. It's about halfway here. And they're not firing another one. 
And so I imagine that Chris will continue to gun it towards the radio, down the path of the radio beacon, basically. And you've got one more shot. You got one more shot. I hope you make it. Same bonus supplies. Use the force, is all. Use the force, Ted. Okay, Ted. Let's not mess this up. Ooh. Well, I rolled an 11, so 12 Oh, well, nice, nice, nice. You do. You hit it. You take out the missile. You see it disappear from its uh, from your radar. And again, the ships are so far away, You, it's really even hard to... You wouldn't even really be able to get a visual on them by looking out the, the window. The spaceship combat is more like submarine combat, pressing buttons in the dark, you know, really, than it is uh, dramatic dogfights, at least in a situation like this one. So uh, the missile does not get close it doesn't detonate which again would have powered you down completely um and you are just getting to the point where you're at the edge of the atmosphere chris where you're starting to feel that first buckle you know whoa whoa we got some hard air and the whole front of the the achilles heel starts to glow a little bit like it usually does as you're coming into the heat but um just as that happens and you can see that the the other ship looks like it's going to pursue you, the Xerxes. But uh, another blip comes up on the screen just as soon as you hit atmosphere. It's coming out from around the planet's dark side. It's been hidden. And who you could that s- be? Well, your sensors say it's a Gazelle-class close escort, which is a 400-ton military ship. It's about twice the size of yours. Oh. And it's armed with particle accelerator barbettes and laser turrets, and its comm beam is on and proud and it identifies itself as the Ladashi of the Bever- the Bevy Interim Council and you might not remember but Bevy is a world that's trying to colonize this one with Rylanor's permission over the opposition of the local people so this is basically the law here which is good for you in this particular case and uh, the second that that comes over blaring its identity that Xerxes class ship just skidaddles the hell out of there Luckily, because uh, you hit that missile, you're not just floating dead in space and have to fix, you know, fix the power and yada yada. So you have hit the hard air, though, and you're coming in, gunning it. Not necessarily, you know, the best way to come in. So let's get a quick uh, roll from you, uh, Christopher, just to uh, not just to have a smooth landing without any damage to the sh- smooth entry without any damage to the ship, without losing any heat shields or anything like that. This is pretty routine stuff for you, though, so you really just need a six or higher, and you would add any piloting levels you have. And because you also have uh, decent dexterity, take a further plus one. Well, with the uh, pilot uh, plus two and the plus one, that's going to be 11. Well, that's great. So even though you do buckle and ride and you know like uh, hidden hard air as it were as you enter the atmosphere uh, you do so without losing any heat shielding without taking any damage to the ship at all and pretty soon you're out over the ice because that's what it is in every direction um, you see ice covering the landscape below you it's only broken by these occasional up jutting slabs of granite that pass for mountains but due to some vagaries of plate tectonics here they almost 
resemble toppled dominoes. I mean, they're not that nice and neat. They're definitely natural process, but they look like toppled slabs. And uh, it's a clear atmosphere, though, calm weather. You're along the equator. And I say there's ice, but there's, it's, most of it's actually snow. And it's really, uh, as I say, only broken by these, these great toppled domino-style mountains. But near one of those, there's this large expanse of bedrock. And as you, you're following the radio signal into where this is, it's like they've cleared off some bedrock. And you see as you get closer, there's a radio tower there and a few low-domed, prefabricated buildings. It's obviously what passes for Kagina Starport. And as you're slowing her down and getting ready to land, you see there's this really cold-looking guy bundled up like a deep-sea diver waving you in with glowing red wands, you know. And uh, when you're finally in and down, he gives you the thumbs up and he waves towards one of the prefab buildings, which are kind of clustered up near the toppled domino-type mountains. So you guess that most of the civilization here probably is subterranean or in caves. Um... And I should point out that your ship's locker is just assumed to have basic equipment you might need for various environments and stuff. So you're both ex- experienced mm-hmm. characters, so we can assume you've got cold weather clothing you can change. Sweaters. Into. I love sweaters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oi there, Um Do you happen to uh, recall um, what this alien's name is? Oh, the, the alien we're supposed to meet? Or... Um, I think we are supposed to. Oh, uh, I wrote it down here. Oh, the hiver. Yeah, the and hiver. That's, and that's like, and you guys know what a hiver is. A hiver is a type of alien. It's a race, but you know the idea is there's only going to be one of them. You know, you'll know him when you see him because he's the only hiver. And uh, the hivers are generally a peaceful people, and I'm going to assume that you guys at least know what they are and what they look like. Chris may have come into contact with some of their trade missions before, but uh, this is not a part of space that they frequent heavily. But I think the point is you won't be able to miss him, that's for sure. Right, well, uh, suppose we should get some uh, jackets and... uh, Yeah, looks a bit nipply, so I'm going to bundle up for sure. You guys bundle up, you get on your cold weather gear, and even once you put all that on, though, the second your exit hatch opens, the cold just soaks in. It soaks right down to your bones. It's so cold out there. I mean, it hurts to breathe. It's so cold it almost hurts your feelings. That's how cold it is. And when you guys exhale, you can see your breath, like, crystal up and freeze and fall to the ground right right in front of your eyes. Luckily, there's no wind, which will make it ten times worse. But by the time you finally reach that prefabricated building, ice is already built up all over your suits and everything, and your ice is all over your sweater. But uh, a hatch opens, and you're hit with this blast of slightly warmer but still cold air. And uh, this building that you're entering is basically the traveler equivalent of a construction trailer. You know, it's not fancy in here. There's two bored-looking men in brown military uniforms here playing cards at a table, and behind that is a counter and behind the counter sitting on a stool is this really sour looking woman with a beret and a thick sweater she's wearing a badge identifying her as a customs official and she's smoking a cigarette and there's this overflowing ashtray next to her and the air in here is just suffused with cigarette smell now you've heard that Kagina was technologically backwards and in fact barely competent 
by imperial standards. And as if to prove that, the woman has in front of her an electric typewriter, and there's a stack of mimeographed forms, and there's a bank of like old school filing cabinets behind her. And at the other end of the room is a sign that says stairs. Oh, step forward, says the lady in the beret. Yes, ma'am. I'm just trying to warm back up. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, name, state your name. I'm Ted Higginbottom. Hmm. What are you, pretty boy? Oh, yeah. oh, Chris. Chris Jones. Chris Jones. She, like, types. It's, like, maddening. She's, like, type. She's, like, hunt and peck typing on this electric typewriter. It types, like, a, a letter every couple of seconds. And as she goes through and gets some other. She asks for your UPPs and whether you have any cargo to declare, which you can honestly say no. What's the purpose of your visit? Uh, well, we're just here to see the Hiver. Yeah, that bastard. Now, uh, do you know where we might find the Hiver? <clears throat> yeah, I know exactly where you might find him. He's in lockup. It's a good thing that I'm coughing a little bit because she would be. She's smoking like crazy. <laughs> kind of picture her, kind of like Anne Ramsey, you know, in the Goonie from the Goonies, or throw mama mm-hmm. from the train. That's how I imagine her, <laughs> but. Uh, now you, he's in lockup. We call him Mean Gene, the Hiver. He's in lockup, the dumb oh. son of a bitch. Got himself arrested by the Bevy Interim Council. And he spit on a trooper. He says it was a cultural misunderstanding. So they got him in lockup out on Ice Station Zulu. And last I heard, he paid a hefty fine, but he can't pay the life support charges. He's racked up while he's incarcerated, so they won't let him out. And if you're going to Ice Station Zulu, I got bad news for you, because you got to go right back out into the fucking cold. Oh, that's unfortunate. I just do not do well in the cold. Hmm. Now, you guys do have an air raft docked on your ship. It's uh, in the hold, which is basically like a flying minivan. And um, you, you're going to need it because you can tell from posters and regulations and stuff on the walls. And the type of things that Chris looks for a lot in his merchant career Um that in-atmosphere flight's like, prohibited here by the Bevy Interim Council unless it's along their radio beam. So you'd almost have to take your little air raft out to wherever wherever he is. And if you're going out there, make sure you keep your flight ceiling below 30 meters or the troopers will get you. What do you want to talk to that dumb son of a bitch for, anyway? Well, it's, it's a business deal. Yeah. Well, very much private on him place like Kagena. Fine, you dumb bastards. Get back. Get your asses back out in the cold. Get on. Get on. Get on out of here, then. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. We're not looking for any tourists here anyway, and if you're looking for cargo, we got three kinds. Meat, meat, and meat. Ice worms make good eating. Yeah. That sound good to me, love. No knock until you tried it. Next time you come back here, bring something useful. Like audiovisual equipment, or notebook computers, or fusion reactors. Bring us a Mr. Fusion next time you come here, will you? <laughs> so, yeah, unless you want to unless you want to go in there, go down the stairs, which is the only other exit out of here. Uh, it sounds like you have to go back to Ice Station Zebra. And of course, you can get... Your sensors, you know, can find settlements and things like that, but you can get the coordinates from her. 
It's obviously I some hope kind ev- of... I hope that uh, everyone else is not as rude as that lady. <laughs> you hear her say as the door shuts. Well, this is um, just not very hospitable place at all, and I'm not even talking about the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> we you mean you're talking about the? Uh, I mean, now I'm, now I'm turning into the fucking uh, funeral yeah, finale over yeah, here. Yeah, you're if you know what the hell? What's going on here? <laughs> um, you're talking about the um, the ice queen in there, then? Yes, you could call her that. Yeah. Uh well, but I do suppose we ought to be on our way. I'm just really, uh, I don't know if we're saying this as we're walking. Yeah, I mean, you're saying it's just shivering, walking back to the ship. Yeah. And again, because, probably because they're colonizing the world, and from what you've heard, the, the locals are not crazy about it. Um, you know, in-atmosphere flight of ships is prohibited unless it's on this beam, so you'll have to take the, the air raft. Well, I didn't want to have to take the raft, but I suppose we'll have to take the raft. I suppose you're right. Um, yeah. Yeah, you get back onto your ship and uh, open up the cargo hatch. Your little air raft slips in a nice little cute little spot. It's got its own little garage. And again, just think of it as a flying minivan. It takes forever to warm up. But um, once you've got the coordinates for Ice Station Zulu punched in, head out of this mean little class E starport and out north of the equator. And you go around those toppled domino style mountains and over these vast sheets of ice for a couple hours actually until you see in the distance there's a smaller comm tower with a satellite dish on it and there's a small landing field but there's actually ships here and there's a fairly large R class bulk cargo ship and a Kynunir class battle cruiser both out on out, out here, kind of interclass battle. That's just kind of a state of the art. Uh, it's a serious ship, and uh, there's a cluster of prefab domes here too, and two artillery installations actually with big guns. And there's an ice-covered barbed wire fence all around the compound. But your comms go off. Incoming RF state business says a voice over the radio. Uh, we come we we come to see the hive, huh? There is a long pause. Land outside the perimeter fence. You'll be met at the gate. Okay. Right, yeah. I suppose we land outside the perimeter fence then. Yeah, and there's a few places out here where the snow has been shoveled into big banks to make some flat places for shifts to settle down outside the fence. So <laughs> you kind of land in between great mountains of snow, and by this time, by the time you set down the air raft, the gate's already opening, um, and you're greeted by a bevy trooper in this great big quilted bodysuit that's all puffed out, and he's got an air tank on the back, like he's obviously full of warm air. He looks a little full silly. Full of hot air. He's full of hot air, yeah. He looks a little silly, but he looks comfortable. And there are a few other such troopers outside, and without being, uh, without engaging you in much conversation, they escort you over to the largest of the prefab buildings, and once inside... The tech level in here is obviously much higher. They've got a high-tech communication system and computer banks, and there's brown uniformed officers here. And it was, yes, you say you're here to see the Hiva. 
Yes, he goes by the name of Mean Gene. Yes, I know him, I know him. Uh, yes, you know, he spit on a bevy trooper, and he's paid his fine, but we cannot release him until someone pays his life support debt, which has grown to 2,500 credits. Is that something you're prepared to take care of? I take, oh, I've got that kind of cash. Well, I mean... I, now, you guys made some credits on your last job selling... Uh, Notebook computers to the Rylanor School District, uh, but that's that's a lot. That's a big chunk of what you made. You know, I'm not sure that we need to pay. We just need to talk to this guy. Maybe. Well, I guess we ought to talk if, if we can visit with this uh, Hiver, and then depending on what he says, we might have to uh, pay for his release. But maybe not. Suit yourselves, says the officer. And he takes you down a hallway and into a room uh, where there's a couple of, just like, you know, a prison-style visiting room with a glass partitions. And you sit down on the other side. You wait for a while. And the hiver soon appears. And he kind of looks like a cross between a cactus and a starfish. He like, waddling out on five limbs. And the sixth limb is, like, sticking up like it's a torso. <laughs> There's this sort of nerve bundle and eye stalks on the head of it. Uh, he's wearing, like, this device around this this neck, we'll call it. It looks like a little speaking spell. And uh, he uh, starts to wave his tendrils around a little bit and shuffle his body left and right. And he kind of moves in and out with his body like a bellows. And spittle kind of flies out of little orifices when he speaks. You can see him accidentally, quote-unquote, spitting on somebody. But you don't hear him speaking. All you hear is the little, little voice box that activates. He's like, I am so surprised to have visitors. Who are you? Why are you here to see me? Um, my name is Ted Higginbottom. This is Chris Jones. And... Yeah, we're Good. here. Uh, we're, we 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 represent a woman, an anonymous woman, woman, uh, and we're doing a job for her. She wants us to come to you. You might know who it is already. I don't know what you're talking about. If it is anyone who I thought it might be, they would have given you some means of identifying yourself to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, we do have a password. Is that what you want? Am I to give you a password? What do you think, genius? <laughs> now, I don't like you to get an attitude now. We're doing this woman... Well, I'd say we're doing a favor, but we're getting paid. But still, we didn't have to take this job now. Okay, now, I'm going to say it. Um, the five boxing wizards jump quickly. Indeed, you have been sent by my friend. My friend was not a woman. Perhaps my friend is using someone else to conduct business. Now, you guys do remember the woman says you're doing this for her brother. She said her brother was no oh, yeah, longer... Right. She she didn't really say why. She said he was no longer free to do it. Uh, but I would very much like to conduct our business, but there is one 
catch. As I suppose it's because you're locked up. Yes, you can see that I can do very little about the spittle that is sometimes released from my pores when I speak. My voice box works like a bellows over my whole body. Some of my digestive juices might spray on people from time to time. However, because, as you say, I have an attitude, I believe this was taken wrong by the Bevy Interim Council, therefore I am here. I paid my fine like a good citizen. However, I still owe 2,500 credits in life support fees. If you could pay my fees, I can finish our business. Well... That's a good quarter of what you made on your last job, frankly. Then again, you do have 50,000, or you have 500,000 credits here that you're supposed to use to buy the cargo, you know. Mm -hmm. So you have that at your disposal as well. Yes, I sure hope that uh, this deal goes through. Then, Then we won't have to worry about spending the credits to get him out, but I don't know what other choice we have. Do you, Chris? Nah, I think we just, uh, I think we just gotta pay it and get him out. Yeah, I guess that's the only option. That is a price of doing business. There are many unforeseen expenses in business, and I recommend you consider this one. Thank you for paying my life support bill. (laughs) Ding! (laughs) And, uh, we'll assume you guys take care of that. And uh, good riddance, you hear a few of them say. Yeah. Good luck with that one. He's got a real bad attitude, like the officers. It kind of does, you know. Yeah, I can tell, even though he doesn't have much inflection in his voice, it still comes out. My voice is rich with inflection, it just cannot be expressed in Anglic. Mm. And the door opens. You hear with a blast of cold. You guys got to walk across their yard again. And the the big barbed wire fence opens. Uh, and you have to walk out to where your air raft is parked. And then where uh, the, go- the gate closes behind you. And then suddenly from those high banks of shoveled snow, one of them just seems to explode silently. But this creature lurches out. Now, in traveler terms, this is a 400-kilogram 400 400 pouncer. But what it looks to you is like this huge furry worm with a round sphincter-like mouth full of sharp teeth. And it naturally attacks people on a four or more, and it's attacking you right now. It's in between you and your, and your air raft. And... Um, you're going to have to fight the damn thing. Uh, any attacks you guys make against it are going to be with a minus three modifier. Because with either your cutlass or your auto pistols, um, because of its its thick hide and everything. In fact, with just the blade, not the cutlass, it would be a minus four. Um, it's going to attack you guys at a minus one because you're wearing mesh armor. But uh, Now, am I to assume that I am still injured... Now you can assume that over the week-long trip in jump, you were able to heal okay. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All jumps take a week, no matter how long they, no matter how far the distance is. 
But yeah, finding yourself essentially forced to fight this thing, <coughs> it has achieved surprise on you. Uh, but it just rushes out in between you guys. Um, it misses basically, and and is now in your way. Oh my! Oh, now let me see. I have a BZ grenade. You're pretty sure that BZ grenade will put a small group of people to sleep. You're not sure about this thing. Uh, hmm. Might want to save that if you've ever got to get yeah. away from a platoon of soldiers in a hurry or something. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I uh, do have a automatic pistol, I guess. I will shoot if I can. You go, you go for it. Now, you need an 8 or higher to hit. Because of its thick skin, you know, you're, you're attacking it with a minus 3. All of Traveler Combat factors in, you know, there's a little matrix which factors in your weapon type versus armor type and comes up with a final modifier. So you, it's a minus 3, but you get to add your auto pistol levels. So I think technically for you that would really only be a minus 1. Yes. Alright. Alright. Oh, let's see. Uh, nine, eight. Eight. That's great. That's exactly what you need. And go ahead and roll your three dice of damage for the auto pistol. This thing's pretty big, but you don't know how healthy it is. Ten. Hey, that is great. That is great. And uh, it, it it lashes its tail about. You think you've heard it bad. Like, you've heard it real bad. You feel like you've done a very significant wound to it. Uh, and you're hopeful that, man, maybe if Chris can... Chris might even be able to take it out, you think. Your instincts tell you. There's a lot of blood on the snow spraying out in all directions. That was a great hit. Well, Chris is going to give it a shot anyway. Alright. And you guys are pretty close range of the damn thing, too. In fact, you should probably have a bonus for that, but I'm not going to look it up. Oh, unfortunately, Chris rolls a four. Oh no! Well, some ice goes up, and then the creature swings out of his tail and lashes out at the, well, the hiver, actually. Uh, it seems the most like food. But, man, this this uh, this is the most incompetent ice worm on all of Kagena, and it misses with this great lash of a tail. The poor hiver doesn't even have a penalty because the hiver's not wearing armor. But uh, that gives you guys uh, the chance to again. Just kill the damn thing, says the hiver. Well, Just I'm working shoot. on it. Just shoot it before it eats me. Huh. Well, I don't want to be eaten either, mister. Okay. If it well, eats me, there there is no deal if it eats me. Well, I, have, I assume that, yes. Okay, now. Aim and fire, and I miss. Oh, Darn it. Oh, no. What about you, Chris? Well, Chris rolled the exact same thing. As last time? Oh, no. As last time. It hit the exact same spot. You hit the exact same spot on the ice, which is kind of impressive, but but does not help. And <coughs> the ice worm rears back to take a bite of the hiver and rolls a fucking three. It's not like I want him to succeed, but he's not any good at it at all. He's the worst, the worst ice worm. So he, he takes his, his his sphincter mouth teeth just snap on empty air. I am so dexterous, says Mean Gene. Okay. Let's try again. 
Oh, uh, I only got a four that time. Yeah, and you notice that there seems to be no help coming from the from the the, the compound here. They're probably yeah, all watching know. on. They're probably watching the screens and laughing and taking bets. What about you, Chris? What, can you hit? <laughs> roll the two. Oh no! Jesus Christ! It's, it's House of Whiffs. It's Planet of Whiffs for everyone concerned. And uh, just hand me the gun. I will shoot it. Uh, but uh oh, 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 uh oh. Our poor little hiver friend has been bitten, and he takes eight. In fact, I don't even roll dice. He takes eight wounds anytime. This guy bites anybody. They take eight. I got to apply that to all of one of the hivers' stats. So I'll make sure I do his endurance. All right. Ow, he says. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's got a nasty bite. And the hivers bleeding green. Now there's green and red blood on the snow. It's like Christmas blood. Well, all right, I'll try again. Okay, while you're doing that, it's a quick cutaway scene to all the off the Kagina, the bevy interim council officers watching on the video is cheering when Mean Gene gets bitten. And then Ted's auto pistol rings out in the cold. Uh, I rolled an eight, but with the minus one. With the minus one, it's not going to hit. Oh, no. Well, how about you, Chris? I've rolled a three. Oh no! Uh, Jesus Christ! I am dead. Says <laughs> says uh, me and Gene. But uh, God, well, now 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 things are. Look, I rolled an eleven this time for our our friend, the ice worm. <coughs> and so I'm gonna have to take another eight off a different stat. Take that one off his uh, strength. But I think the next bite, I think the next bite, our friend is, our friend Mean Gene is at least going to be unconscious. Because so, um, you'll remember damage is applied to your strength, dex, or endurance. And, uh, hmm. yeah. So, that is his turn. He's taking a, a big bite. And what do you do, you guys? I've just had about enough of you, ice worm. And I got a seven. Not enough. No, not enough. Not enough. Uh, what do you What do you think, uh, Chris? Well, Chris, you give it give it a shot. Oh, and Chris rolls a natural twelve, which will, of course will be an eleven. That's great. So that is good because I was about to have to look up what the close range bonus would be just to give it to you guys so you could not die or that our poor friend Mean Gene could live. But you do hit it. Now it's already taken. Uh, you know, three hits at ten total wounds. So go ahead and roll your damage for your auto pistol, which is. And uh, I forgot to tell Colin this last time, but uh, just tell me the individual dice, and that's not the total. On the three d six, four two one, four two one. And the reason I didn't care so much about Colin is because the first blood he has to apply all of those to one thing, but mm-hmm. four two and the one. But then again, though, even if he applies the one, he's still going down. He, or he's unconscious anyway. And, yeah, the thing skitters back across the ice, but rears up and then quivers and falls to the ground. Its little tail is still wiggling, but uh, it seems immobile, and it is, in fact, unconscious. And uh, you guys may apply the coup de grace 
at uh, narratively, if you wish, at this point, or you can just let it sit here and quiver and get the hell onto your air yeah. rods. What do you guys want to do? Now, are these the things they were saying were good eating? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have time to be, you know, snacking on one of these things, but I think maybe we ought to at least put it out of its misery. We could take it back and see if they want it. Well, I'm sure they want it. Maybe, yeah, maybe they'll give us our money we spent. Uh, well, it's probably not worth that much, but no, no. In fact, you're gonna get blood all over your air raft. It, it yeah, this feasible. This looks like a mess to me. Uh, let's just uh, stick it with our blades and move on. Get the hell out of here! Right? Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you for saving my life. I tell you what we will do. The credits you just paid to take care of my life support bill. You may reimburse yourselves from the purchase price. I will take slightly less on the purchase of the cargo. Because of my gratitude. That seems fair. And I am, yes, I am told that the ice worm is good eating by my human friends. I only eat fungus, so I could not tell you. But I will also buy you a steak if you wish to try it. Uh, well, you mean yeah, a worm I'll steak? Try, I'll try worm steak. Yes, yes. I will buy you a worm steak, and you can have some of the swill that passes for good alcohol here. I only eat fungus, but I do drink. And uh, he he helps you. He climbs into the back of the air raft, and uh, you guys get on your way. And during the trip, he's like, I have been holding the cargo for many weeks now. I was beginning to be concerned. I am merely the broker. I accepted delivery two standard months ago. You will find it in the cargo bay. It is already boxed and shrink-wrapped on five cargo pallets, altogether about ten tons. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, you must, of course, return through the customs check-in station. Well, ah, there you are again, you dumb son of a bitch. Please kindly go fuck yourself, says the hiver to, to the customs lady. Oh, my. The ice queen. And uh, the card-playing bevy troopers give you unfriendly gazes as you... The hiver leads you through the door that was marked stairs... And uh, it's really more of a ramp. You go down to a long, wide corridor that's cut into the rock and lined with HVAC ducts and power cables. It looks like the Rebel base on Hoth, pretty much, you know. And uh, you pass by uh, a few little stations, a few little workers, and people ignore you. And even in here, there's some ice on the walls, you know. But the Hiver leads you to this vast room. Uh, and it, again much colder because there's an opening to the sky overhead and there's a landing pad in here that could accommodate up to a 400 ton craft and even though there's no craft in here <laughs> there are cargo lots you know in little roped off segregated areas and all of the cargoes in here are in silver refrigerated containers probably like she said it's all pre-butchered ice worm except for one which is these five shrink-wrapped pallets that he mentioned. And uh, 
I will, I will, of course, arrange for you to come here and accept delivery. But first, we must do business. And he reaches out uh, his, his head slash limb to accept the money. Okay. Now, we have the briefcase of... Is it a briefcase of money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hal, you can count it out if you want. It is not necessary. Uh, It would be best when you get to Chipotle to avoid customs at Chipotle down Starport. There is a place called Camarne Town. It is the second largest settlement on Chibotwe. There you will seek out Divix Jones. You will know him because he cannot walk. He travels in a special suit. Deliver Div- the password. Yes, he oh, travels in oh. a special suit. Divix Jones. Is he related to Chris Jones? No, he is not. It is a coincidence. No. Oh, okay. Now, you said something about a password. At least I do not think they are related. I do not see any resemblance. There is a password. It is Sphinx of Black Quartz. Judge my vow. Okay, Sphinx of Black Quartz. Judge my vow? That is correct. If you give him that password, he will arrange the transaction and get you your final payment. And now, I must go. I will let you maneuver your craft here to take the cargo. I would shake hands, but it is awkward. You will find a credit for you at the restaurant if you would like a steak on me. Oh, I was hoping you would join us for a steak. I do not think you would find it appetizing to watch me eat. <laughs> oh, I suppose not. Well, you, uh, you're, you're banged up pretty good. I think you ought to get medical attention. That is precisely why I need to get going. But I do thank you for saving my life. Yeah, you're quite welcome. And, um... I guess that's it, then. Ah, <clears throat> uh, so... Did you write all that down? Because I didn't. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I did, and... Um, there's some guy named Divix Jones that um, we're supposed to meet, and um, I thought he might be related to you. Is that like a cousin or something? Hmm. Don't think I have a cousin called... Divix? Divix, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, and the the Hiver said uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't see any resemblance between you and Divix Jones, and that you'd know him because he couldn't walk. He has to travel in a little special suit. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, paraplegic Jones, we called him. Yes, he's my uh, sister's cousin's brother. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. No, no, no. He's a guy. He's a guy's character. Bureaucrat on uh, Jaitalona. Yeah, nice guy. <laughs> always embarrassed, always talks politics and family gatherings. It's always awkward. You know. So, uh, we gotta, like, fly our ship in here to get Yeah, you'll have to fly here? the ship in here. And that's that can all just be handled narratively. That's routine stuff. Uh, and if well, you guys want to have a steak. Yeah. 
yeah. And if you want to go have a steak at the, the steakhouse, that's fine. If you do want to try the worm steak, we don't have to role play it out. But I'd, I'd like to know <laughs> if you if you try it. Well, <clears throat> I, I was uh, curious. I guess you know maybe it's like um, some exotic delicacy, and um, you know you got to try new things when you're on in new places. So. I'm up for it. I'll try if you say it's good. All right. Sounds good. Well, you guys can do make your way to the steakhouse, and uh, this full of... There could be an adventure in itself here just with the intrigue that's going on on Kagina, which is outside of the scope of our concerns in this adventure, but uh, it's the kind of thing where everybody stops talking when you guys walk in and look at you suspiciously and then go back to the whispering... There's a lot of whispering. Uh, there's a couple of defaced propaganda posters and rules posters in here. But you do take a bite of the steak, and I will tell you, I don't know what your personal tastes are, but it is considered quite a delicacy. Uh, so mm-hmm. go ahead and take a nice bite, and I think you would find it very, very good. Tastes like chicken. Mmm. It's not bad. It's actually pretty good. Well. I gotta have one then. Okay. Snap back. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's great. And as you guys finish up your steak and enjoy, you know, a bottle of something, and uh, avoid some of the hostile glares of the angry population, who um, really does not feel like being colonized by Bevy. But again, that's a, a whole other adventure. Uh, you guys make your way out to your ship, and you can go through the process of of having the cargo, uh, you know, jacked up onto your ship, and you got plenty of room for it, and uh, you still got lots of space. You think left it was like in. ten tons. Yeah, you got a lot of space left in your in your cargo bay as well. Um, and if you look at the little map of a far trader. Its cargo bay really does, to scale, look about the same size as the one in the Serenity. So you can really kind of imagine it's even got like little cargo catwalks and and stuff. I'm still not at all convinced Joss Whedon did not at least play Traveler once or know about it. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, anyway, uh, you got that all taken care of. But about an hour after you eat, I'd like you to both roll. Uh, Two dies and just Uh-oh. don't roll. Just don't roll exactly a two. That's all. Just don't roll exactly a two. Like so no snake. No snake eyes. Adding. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, no snake eyes. I rolled exactly a two threes. Oh, good. I rolled a two. I I rolled two threes. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good. You know, I mean, every now and then, you know, uh, some people do not sit well. You know, with the. Uh, with the ice worm, but you guys managed to uh, to not have any ill effects, and the uh, the head here on the Achilles heel is not abused. But before you go roaring off to Chipotway, uh, let's not forget that you need to refuel. So you'll have to maneuver some three astronomical units away to the system's big green gas giant where you can skim the upper reaches of the atmosphere, open up your fuel scoops, and take in hydrogen, which your your engines will convert that into unrefined fuel. And, of course, that trip 
takes quite some time. So while you're maneuvering out there, do you uh, do you have any curiosity about your cargo at all? Do you want to go take a look at it, see what you're carrying? I think you thought it might be. I think you told yourselves it was probably medicine. I think Chris yeah. originally Chris originally thought it was probably some like mind control drugs or you know something like that, and then Ted rationalized it must be medicine. But if you guys are curious, you can go take a look. If you're not curious, then you could just keep on maneuvering out to that big gas giant. I think Ted really wants to believe that it's medical supplies, and I think so Chris he doesn't have a guilty conscience. But I think Chris wants to be uh, <laughs> a bit of a snooper. Yeah, yeah, and having been a merchant for all these years, I imagine he couldn't help but be curious. It also probably makes your merchant's soul nervous to not know exactly what you're carrying in your hold at all times in case you're ever questioned about it, which is entirely possible. <clears throat> so we'll assume you go down there by yourself, maybe, unless Ted sees you locking. Yeah, I'll just make some excuse about the ice worm not agreeing with Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> perfect excuse, yeah. So you go down into the cargo hold. You're down there by yourself. And, of course, you got lights that are only on when you need them, right? So as you walk through the, the place, the lights on the catwalk go down when you get down to the main level. And you got to undo some of the shrink wrap, of course, and actually open one of the boxes. But in, and it's a I'd great like to do box. it in such a way, uh, to the extent that it's possible, that it will be possible to uh, put everything back so that, you know, it, it can hopefully at least have a chance of not being noticed that it was tampered with. Sure, sure. It might be a little tr- tough with the shrink wrap, but I, I, I think that uh, I think Ted really kind of doesn't want to know and probably won't look too close. But I'll, I'll, we'll see what we could do about that. Um, I think I assume you just take your time and you're not in any huge hurry. It's going to be a long, uh, a long shit. That's going to be a very long shit. And when you do get that box open finally, you don't find medicine inside. And you don't find you know, uh, doping drugs. What you do find are dozens and dozens of heavy military-grade rifles, light assault guns from Rupee Weapon Systems that fire a 20-millimeter round. Uh, Ted, if you were down here, could tell you these could be effective against battle armor or air rafts. And there are also several boxes in this larger box of high-explosive rounds. So apparently this is what some people think will help the natives of Chipotle. Um, so what's the political situation like on Chipotle? Obviously on Kagena, like, um, you know, the the there's, like, occupiers that the natives don't seem to care for. Is, this, is there a similar sort of situation? Well, not that you've ever been fully aware of, and you've done a few trade missions through there before. Uh, you know, the only intelligent race on Chipotle other than humans are dolphins. You know? Dolphins could do with uh, with weapons like this, but it's it's definitely a mystery, and it's it's certainly not that you're aware of. Is there any kind of active rebellion? That being said, you found out all that stuff about Kagena by accessing public terminals, and you're a little far away from anything like that now to get any more details. So you might be going in blind. There could be problems you're not aware of, or problems that are very secret. Obviously, this whole deal has been conducted in great secrecy so far but it's something that the nobility of Rylanor are messing about in <coughs> and yet they seem to be trying to help the natives 
Chipotle is part of the Imperium, but again, the internal affairs of worlds in the Imperium are, are their own business. And uh, it's a good, good, good question. But somebody thinks that the natives need this, and it's a mystery that we'll probably just have to solve in our next episode, I think. So we'll assume that you get to the gas giant and you refuel successfully and then uh, make that jump to Chipotle. And it's a week in the black and it's a week in between episodes. So it's now real time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody. If you like our podcast, don't forget to leave us a good rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, or wherever you're able. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Goonies underscore world. And check out our website at GooniesWorldPodcast.com. Email us at GooniesWorldPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.